0: and the key lessons we've learned along the way about generating passive income. The things we discuss in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice, and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Enjoy the show. G'day, welcome to the Low Rates, High Returns podcast with me, Pete Borgent. I'm here, as always, with Stephen Moriarty. G'day, Steve. How's things? Good mate good. how are you? I'm very well thanks. so we're very excited to kick off a new series featuring some specialist investors from around the traps in Australia and delighted to say our first guest is an old friend uh, Jordan Elisio from Sydney and uh, part of the Perth Mint and Jordan, you're a precious metals and gold expert. so thrilled to have you on. welcome.
1: Thanks Pete, thanks Steve I appreciate the invitation looking looking forward to
0: the chat. Yeah, now with the uh, obvious Italian surname, I don't want to hear anything about penalty shootouts or European <laughs> championships. Uh, it's still too fresh in their memory and too painful. So we'll we'll skirt straight past the Italian football references and get straight into... Uh,
1: they knocked Australia out of the World Cup 15 years ago, so I still feel I feel your pain. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well. You're like, you guys, like, I'm the only Australian here, right? You guys have got Italian heritage and English heritage. But it's always, you guys, when you win Australia, you go, yeah, I'm an Aussie. And then the other time, when you go, yeah, I'm an Italian.
0: Yeah, do you think I'm bad, you should hear my kids. They basically support you, whoever's winning. Australia's winning. So Anyway, so, uh Jordan, so... Um, obviously, you're a go-to guy in the gold space, in particular. So, give us a, a bit of a two or three-minute rundown about your background. How you got in, interested in the gold market, and what it, what it is that you do today.
1: I'm, I'm sad to say that this is my now my 25th year in, uh, I suppose, out in the workforce. So, I'm on the wrong side of 40 now. And I started working in financial services as soon as I came out of high school. I was quite lucky to pick up a, a job in funds management uh, in South Australia, which is where I grew up whilst I was uh, studying. Uh, and I suppose for the first 10 or 15 years of my career, uh, I spent that time in traditional asset management uh, firms, uh, you know, working in the superannuation industry, for example, in Australia, and also over in the UK, work for companies like Casanova Capital, Threadneedle Investments. And most of that time was spent in kind of investment analytics roles. Uh, so I'd always had, you know, obviously a pretty keen interest in markets and was an investor my, myself. Uh, and I suppose the, the reason I first got interested in gold, uh, it almost dates back, you know, exactly 20 years to when the NASDAQ bubble burst. So at that time, I was actually working for a discount broker. Uh, I worked for, for one of those for, for about a year. For a period of time there, you know, the NASDAQ and, you know, anything technology-related uh, was absolutely fine, uh, and then, as we all know, it ended in a you know a fairly massive catastrophe and, and crash. You know that was a, a real eye opener for someone who you know was kind of 19, 20 years old, couldn't quite work out why that had happened, didn't really understand anything about market cycles, uh, you know, or, or the kind of bubbles that you know have occurred throughout history, and and that was kind of the I suppose the eye opener for me. Off the back of that, I you know was then quite fortunate to be introduced to the, the writing and to the, I suppose, the thoughts of, you know, some people that I think are, you know, are very astute market observers and, and historians and, um, you know, they were looking at kind of the cycles between real assets like gold and, and financial assets, you know, I, I suppose, like equities. And, you know, on a relative basis, at least, it just seemed pretty clear that gold was fairly cheap relative to, you know, mainstream blue chip equities. And yeah, I started, I suppose, dabbling in precious metals and and putting some money in the space personally in maybe around 2003, 2004, stayed working in traditional financial services for about another decade. But for the last kind of eight or nine years now, I've been working in precious metals. And so for the Perth Mint, which is by far the largest precious metals organization in Australia, I basically look after investment research for the company, as well as Business development for our listed products and for our depository. So that's people that are buying and storing gold and other precious metals with us. So it's a you know a job I, I really enjoy doing. I like talking about financial markets, love talking about gold and precious metals, and helping those people that that want to put some of their portfolios into gold um, or, or, or silver. You know, I suppose showing them how that can be done.
0: Yeah, so it's like a dream job for you because you've you've had the. Interesting gold over you know 20 odd years and and then you've ended up you've had chief economist roles in the sector and now the, the role at Perth Mint so it fits together perfectly for you so I know Steve had a couple of questions about uh, the history of gold because uh, I guess uh, there's something about uh, a shiny precious metal it's always had that kind of special aura about it Steve do you want to take over and ask a a couple of questions of jordan in terms of the history of how gold became an investment asset class in its own right and so on
2: yeah jordan it's interesting i've always been sort of fascinated by gold on two fronts one as an investment and two as a you know the idea of chartalism so the idea that the value is in the the metal itself it's interesting from a, an investment point of view that gold is not very correlated to blue uh, like you say to equities and so it's turned out that when equities do well gold doesn't do well but then when gold does well equities don't and so I'm just wondering about if you could explain to people a couple of things one is how does it work as a or the the and I don't know if I'm right about the perception of it being an inflation hedge could you can you run through that idea and also that idea of you know It's a store of value.
1: Yeah, sure. Maybe I'll I'll start there as as the starting point on the the store of value argument. So, you know, without wanting to give you the the very long history of gold, you know, suffice to say, you know, human beings, you know, irrespective of, of, you know, where they're located on on the globe, have valued gold in one form or another, whether it be as as jewellery, whether it be as some kind of symbol of, of wealth. or or whether it indeed be as a a form of money for, you know, the better part of 5,000 years. You know, there's history, uh, archaeological evidence of of gold jewellery items that date back, you know, to sort of 4,500 BC. There's evidence that, you know, gold coins were, you know, first made the better part of 3,000 years ago as well. So, you know, if you kind of think that, you know, this monetary metal or this metal has been around, human beings have used it for millennia, and it obviously still has value today. The the, the current value of the gold market uh, is in the vicinity of $12 trillion at today's prices. So it's larger than most bond markets as a whole. You know, it's, it's pretty clear that gold is an item that humans value. Now, the value they put on it obviously goes up and down on, on a day-to-day basis and indeed can go through you know, cycles that last you know, 5, 10 years uh, where it's either arising or falling, but it's pretty clear that that gold is an asset that humans value. Now, why did they choose gold, or why you know why has it become a, an item that humans value? You know, I think there's a few reasons. Apart from the fact that it's just you know sort of beautiful and lustrous to to look at, to hold, to wear. Um, you know, it's got a number of properties that make it very useful. It's malleable, it's ductile, it's indestructible it's basically uniform um, it's divisible obviously it's portable um, it's scarce but also it's found globally as well so one of the things that and and again this is this this isn't a reason to be bullish on gold or bearish on gold it's just an acknowledgement of what gold is or it's its history and humans interaction with it there's archaeological evidence that gold was used as money on basically every continent on you know on planet earth before the civilizations on those continents had even interacted with each other. So, if you think of that, you've got people of different religions, different languages, different cultures, you name it, and all independently of each other, they all chose, for one reason or another, to value gold, to want to wear it as jewellery, to want to hold it as a store of value, and, as I say, in many cases, to want to actually use it as currency itself. So, I guess that is the you know extremely long-run store of value story. Now look in the last 50 years, gold formally, you know, hasn't been money. It was August 15, 1971. So it's actually 50 years this Sunday that the United States basically um, closed what what was called the gold window. So up until 1971, nation states could deliver US dollars effectively um, back to the US Treasury and say, hey, we've got some dollars you need to give us gold, and the the, the ratio was thirty five dollars an ounce. So if you had thirty five US dollars, you could basically say, "Well, I want an ounce of gold." You know, the rules of of the of the game, as it were, are, are changed. As I say, uh, almost fifty years ago to the day, and so over the last fifty years, gold has been, for want of a better term, an investment asset that can, people can incorporate into their portfolio if they so wish. And so, you know, that was probably a pretty long answer to the first part of your mm-hmm. question, Steve, but. Your your question then around whether or not it's an inflation hedge, if you look at that fifty year period that we're talking about, there's really only been one decade where there's been really high inflation, and that was of course what what the nineteen seventies, yeah. um, where inflation averaged you know kind of seven eight percent per annum in the United States, gold was the one asset or one of the few assets that not only protected purchasing power, it actually grew purchasing power, so it went up by comfortably more than you know eight nine percent per annum so that's kind of the evidence that it is an inflation hedge the last 40 years there hasn't actually been a huge amount of inflation so that hasn't been the key driver of gold for the last three or four decades
2: right okay so I just the other thing and I, and I should declare this up front i hold gold and I also have gold companies sure and that brings me to the next question about you know the asset allocation idea and Pete and I talk often about you know, long-term holding and this sort of stuff, and we talk about market cycles of equities, yep. which we sort of can value, you know, roughly like the cape ratio. Sure, is there because I assume, and please correct me if I'm wrong, gold doesn't have an intrinsic value, and so from there, my my question is, well, how do I know if I'm selling? You know, well, first of all, I assume gold is more of a trader a tradable thing over years rather than saying, you know, oh, I bought Woolworths in 1997 and I've held it for 30 years. And from that point of view, is it difficult to say, oh, well, gold is good value at the moment? You know, like you can sort of say, oh, BP is good value at the moment because, you know, it's basically intrinsic value is about 10 bucks, and it's at 7 or something. Whereas with gold, you, can you do something like that? Yeah, look, so so I suppose you,
1: you can't do it in the same way you can with an equity like like BHP yeah. or, or Telstra or Woolies or. But what you can do, and, and again, because there's such a long history of gold pricing that you can you, you can look at, you can look at the price of gold relative to the equity market as a whole, or relative right. to say growth in the money supply, or one of the things that's a a, a relatively popular thing to do is to get the the market value of equity markets and fixed income markets combined, get the market value of gold and say, okay, what share of, of total financial assets does gold make up today? And how does that compare to history? And anyone who, you know, I, I would say anyone who knows anything about investing knows that markets do move in cycles. So yes. to give you, to give you um, an example, you know, back at the at the end of the 1970s, where gold was priced at at one point over $800 an ounce, it had had a massive run for for basically 10 years. Gold, as a sort of share of global financial assets, was closer to, you know, six, seven, eight percent. You know, it depends how you measure the financial asset part. It was a pretty high number. Whereas by 2000, when gold was trading at only $250 an ounce US, it was less than kind of one percent of global financial assets. So, you know, if you look at it that way, you can kind of say, well, you know, gold looks cheap rel- on this metric. Right. Um, doesn't guarantee the price is going to go up. But, yeah, if I look at what, you know, sort of got me interested 20 years ago or the better part of 20 years ago, it was very simply a ratio between equity market prices um, or, or equity indices and the gold price. And it was just like, well, wow, gold's been falling, you know, by, by 2000 on a relative basis, gold had been falling for basically 20 years. Yeah. Right? So you sort of go, well, that's a pretty long cycle now. Might not end tomorrow, but it's sort of at a point where relative to equities, it, it looks about as cheap as it ever has. So, you know, if, if you're sort of then thinking from an asset allocation perspective and wanting to shift your money around, it kind of, to me at least, made sense to say, well, on that valuation metric, if, if that's the term you want to use, and I appreciate some people not might not... Uh, agree that it's a valuation metric. Yeah, on that metric, for me, gold looked, you know, pretty attractive. And obviously, I was I was pretty lucky personally, as was anyone else that you know managed to allocate some capital at the time. So, I think the answer is a little nuanced to your question, Steve. You know, you can't value it the way you value a company, but there are things you can look at to give you a view on where the price might be headed, or or the rationale as to why you might want to hold it in your portfolio
0: yeah right, so that okay. that makes a, a lot of sense jordan now i i actually had a, a kind of follow up question uh, that comes on from that and apologies this is probably very basic stuff for you but uh, i'm not a gold, uh not a gold expert so uh, therefore a lot of these basic questions have got more value to people like me and no doubt for a lot of the listeners so i've um, i've seen you present in Sydney before, and I know um, one of the things you used to do. I don't know if you still do this: is bring a bring along a big lump of gold so people can see, feel, and touch what it actually looks like. Now, not being a gold investor, I've always been a, uh, a more of a property guy. But I did work in the resources sector for a number of years. And in fact, I did work for a company that had a copper and gold mine. So uh, the, it was mainly a copper mine, but obviously gold was found as well in the same deposits. So I, I suppose I've got two questions. One is, um, does the cost of mining gold out of the ground have an impact on uh, what you expect prices to do? Uh, so, uh, presumably, if mining costs are higher, then potentially the gold price could follow, uh, a, bit, a bit like the old supply and demand cycles. But I suppose my, my other main question was, well, take me as a, uh, a property investor, yeah, we, we've got um, quite a lot of uh, farmland in our portfolio these days. And people always say to me, oh, look, you could get a better yield on you know, other types of property or you could get better returns elsewhere. And I, I don't ever dispute that. For us, it's largely a question of, well, look, this stuff is kind of indestructible. You can say with a, a kind of a high level of confidence, we can pass it on to the kids without paying inheritance tax. And even if it's not the number one performing asset over the long run, It it will act as an inflation hedge and uh, do some good stuff for us over time. Now, I've been to a lot of property seminars where people say, oh, yeah, but, you know, you should take out an option and do this. And you don't have to own property. You can use these kind of derivatives and so on. But I've always figured, well, for me personally, I'm a lot more comfortable just owning the physical asset. So that was my second question. Do you invest in gold mining companies or do you actually own uh, physical gold and if you're going to own the physical asset, what do you do in terms of storage? Do you have things like insurance or storage costs or is that something that Perth Mint does for people?
1: Yeah, so uh, the first part of your question in terms of myself personally, I, I own both. So I own both gold um, directly uh, and, and silver directly as well as um, gold mining companies. I think the important thing that I'd say though and the, and the distinction here is a little bit, and, and, I'll, and I'll loop back with a property analogy. To me, the gold equities sit in the, the equities part of my portfolio, whereas the gold sits more on the kind of safe haven cash-like part of my portfolio. So I see gold equities as a, as a more aggressive play and gold itself as a more defensive play. And if I could, and this might not be a great analogy, but um, I'll, I'll roll it out. You know, if I, if I was to think about, you know, here in Australia... Obviously, I can go and buy a piece of residential real estate or I can buy shares in Commonwealth Bank or one of the big four, right? Now, the shares in the big four, you know, the, the prosperity of them, their, their ability to rise in price, pay a dividend, you name it, is obviously linked to their core business, which is basically lending to the property market. So there's a correlation between the performance of residential real estate and the performance of Commonwealth Bank shares or, you know, shares of, of the big four, right? Right but they're, they're very different investments still. Um, and so that's the kind of analogy I'd sort of draw between gold and gold equity. So, you know, if you buy a gold mining company, you know, you get the opportunity for a dividend, you get the opportunity that they might actually outperform the gold price if they find a lot of gold and can mine it at an attractive margin or an attractive gap between the gold price and what their costs of production are. But you also bring a lot more risk into that investment as well, because, you know, they might have problems with their mind, they might have issues with their balance sheet gearing, you know, they might engage in some MA activity that, you know, doesn't prove particularly fruitful, there might be some jurisdictional risk, you name it. So, you know, whereas with gold, you've actually got, you know, this physical metal that is just an asset, you know, it's not engaged in any business that can go right or wrong, if, if that makes sense. So, yeah, for me, I own both, but I see them as pretty different assets. In terms of how you can own physical gold, there's basically three ways. You can obviously buy bars and coins which you store yourself or, or put in a private vault. Uh, um, you can do uh, or have what's called a depository account with an organisation like the Perth Mint. So basically, think, think of it like a share trading account, but rather than buying um, shares, you're buying ounces of gold or ounces of silver or ounces of platinum and that stays in storage with us. All these days as well, um, you can buy a a gold ETF on the stock exchange. So, you know, when you buy a gold ETF, you're not buying gold directly, um, but you're buying a share or a unit depending on the the structure of the the, the product. It will move up and down with the gold price and the gold backing the the investment will be sitting with uh, a custodian. So, for example, you know, um, with with the Perth Mint, we've got a product on the ASX where people can buy that. It's backed by gold that we've got in storage with us. So those are kind of the different ways you can do it. There's pros and cons to each, obviously. I, I can talk through it if you want, but those are at a, at a higher level, those are the ways that you can own physical gold or own exposure to physical gold if you if you want to. Yeah,
0: well, that that makes um, a lot of sense to me because, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I can see a lot of parallels there with the. Uh of my approach to investing in farmland i'm actually interested to know do you ever sell your gold or do you just uh you're really just kind of building up a a hoard for the future (laughs) yeah
1: so it's funny um i i guess i if i could the easiest way for me to answer that would be my the majority of my gold allocation is a strategic holding um i will trim it in due course when i see you know better value in, in in my own view in other markets, and then I have a small percentage of my gold holdings which I would call sort of tradable. So you know if it has a nice little run up, I might trim it a little. If it has a bit of a correction, I might buy a little bit more on the gold mining equity side because they're so much more volatile and there is more risk involved. Um, I I buy and sell much more in that space or on that side of the gold holdings, as it were, than I do with the actual physical metal itself.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Because I think as Steve will now come on to in the next uh, question, a lot of what we do in our coaching programs is based around what we call the eight timeless principles of investing. So there are four thought principles in terms of what you do before you make an investment. And then there are four action principles, which is effectively Uh, investing and managing your investments going forward, you can see how gold kind of fits into the assets allocation and uh, the diversification uh, buckets. But Steve, do you want to, uh, uh, because I know you had a couple of questions for Jordan on how gold might fit in as part of an overall portfolio?
2: Yeah, a a couple of things. And it probably follows on, Pete, from that question about risk. Um, One of our principles, Jordan, we talk about is the risk hierarchy. And what we say is, well, Companies are really risky because they can go bankrupt, um, That so you're better off in a, a country index or, you know, via an ETF or something like that. And sure. so I was interested about what you said before about, you know, buying physical gold and gold in uh, via companies. The one thing I think it'd be interesting to learn is the, that point you expand or expand on that point about when you buy gold, and I buy gold as the ETF, G-O-L-D, you, you were saying before about the, the ownership structure of that, and I think that fits in with the risk idea where, you know, sometimes people buy an asset thinking they own it and then they find out that actually, no, you don't own it. It's, you know, owned by yeah. a proxy or something. So yeah. that, that's my the, my first one. And my second one is the the interesting part for me is asset allocation. What would be your sort of minimum and maximum allocation to someone who said, well, I want to hold gold, but I don't really know that much about it. Oh, look, I think if someone, so I'll I'll start
1: there with the the allocation part, um, Steve. So, look, I think if someone was, you know, kind of dipping their toes, as it were, um, and wanted a bit of exposure, you know, didn't want it to, I I suppose, have too much influence on their portfolio, though, you know, either to the upside or downside, um, you know, given in this scenario they're, they're relatively new to it, you know, it might be something in the vicinity of, you know, 5 or maybe 10% of a portfolio. And there's plenty of research that, you know, if you look over the last 50 years of market data, there's plenty of research that will tell you that an allocation like that uh, is enough to improve the returns of your portfolio, especially on a risk-adjusted basis. So essentially... Right. You, you can get a similar overall return in your portfolio with much less volatility and far less uh, or, or far less significant drawdowns. And that's predominantly um, as a result of the fact, and you alluded to this earlier, that when equities you know, really hit the skids, no asset class has actually got a better track record of outperformance than gold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's insurance that pays off basically when you want it to. So yeah, something maybe around that 5 to 10 mark as a starting point. Um, you know, I know of diversified strategies that own or that have roughly a quarter of their their portfolio in gold. So they're split, you know twenty five percent gold, twenty five percent cash, twenty five percent fixed income, twenty five percent equities. So the um, coffee
2: ca- coffee can portfolio. yeah, or, um, and, portfolio you know, like you, kind of thing
1: if If you look at the returns on a portfolio like that, like it sounds simple, right? But you know there's nothing wrong with keeping it simple when it comes to investing. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, if you look at like a fifty-year, I suppose back-tested model of mm-hmm. what a portfolio a, a, as simple as that would do, it'd it'd basically underperform the equity market by only a percent. So you'd still make about nine nine and a half percent in your money, but you'd do it with half the volatility and about yeah. one third the drawdowns. So you know, yeah, look, the number, it, it, it's really an independent thing. And 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 also, I mean, I'm I'm guessing most of the listeners are going to be self-directed investors, but. It also depends on the size of your portfolio as well, right? And what kind of investor you are, because if you've got, you know, if you've got five hundred grand to play with, you're in. A, you've got a very different investment universe that's open to you versus if you've got five million or, you know, say fifty million dollars, right? So, you know, Pete, to your point before about owning farmlands, not a lot of people can't do that, right? Because they they just can't. They don't have the capital to go and make that investment, at least not without, say, copious amounts of leverage. So, you know, gold as a real asset might be more attractive and play a bigger weight in their portfolio versus someone that does have the capacity to own farmland, to own, say, commercial property outright or other things like that. So, yeah, the asset allocation one, you know, it it does depend
2: on a range of factors, Steve, but maybe around the 5% mark as a starting point. Right. Okay. Yeah, that was. It's it's an interesting one because I I personally I think that commodities and gold and and also particularly precious metals, um, which we haven't talked much about, gold and precious metals. I think will do. will have a really really good ten years because the the past has been a you know the past ten years for commodities has been a you know below average. Yeah. Um, as believers in mean reversion. And as you say, by history, you see when stocks do badly, which I suspect the US may well be because we've got a high cape ratio, gold generally outperforms. Well, it doesn't generally. It does because I, I know that from the history. Um, yeah. And so I think gold is actually quite a good investment going forward over the next, the next 10 years. Hence the reason why I've got gold in a physical sense, which I sort of see as a a little bit more of a trading thing because you get the capital value but i hold gold companies because you can also get a bit of a dividend on that yeah. as well and they can you know they can just be drive a little bit more product uh, productivity but also there's some very good company managers in the gold space who really do make a difference to the performance of the company absolutely and and and
1: look you know mo- mo- well not most i'd say all of the australian listed gold miners are basically clients of ours on the refining side so you know just as a a, a bit of a, a overview of the gold mining industry in australia australia yeah. is typically the the second largest miner in the world we, we produce you know somewhere in the vicinity of three to 320 tons a year and yeah the overwhelming majority of that you know ends up at the refinery door of the perth mint where we then turn it into bars and coins which are either you know, sold, um, you know, to, to retail investors all around the world, to, um, you know, trading houses, wholesale investors as well, particularly in Asia and up into the UK, or indeed to investors that are keeping it on the shelf through our depository or through our ETFs as well. So 100% agree with you, Steve. There's a, the gold mining industry in Australia is is in pretty rude health right now and that's partly a result of the the, the great job that management of these companies has done.
0: Now, Jordan, I've got a a question for you. I don't want to attract any uh, trolls or haters to the podcast because we have uh, (laughs) plenty of uh, enemies as it is out there. But uh, a question for you just on the the obvious hot topic at the moment of cryptocurrency. So I think um, that the the gold market over the past uh, 50 years, as you said, it's been a popular place for people who want to diversify, get exposure to an asset class with a potentially big upside potential as an inflation hedge and so on. Obviously, in recent years, we've seen a big uh, sort of mania towards a range of cryptocurrencies and indeed other uh, speculative assets like, uh, well, more recently, things like NFTs and goodness knows what else. Um, what kind of impact are you seeing in the gold space from that? Uh, do you think it's something that will persist? And does it have an impact on the next generation of investors? Do you think well uh, gold will reassert itself as a popular asset with younger investors, or are they more inclined to gambling on the uh, the crypto side of things?
1: Yeah, it's look, it's a great question, Pete. Look, and and I. I, you know, whilst I'm the wrong side of 40 right now, as I alluded to at the start of the podcast. You're <laughs> in um, good company.
2: <laughs> mate, know, wait, mate, wait till you get to the wrong side of 50. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, look, you know, I remember what it was like to be in my early 20s and at that time the place to be was, you know, was the NASDAQ and, and tech stocks, right, because yeah, that was, yeah. you know, roaring higher. Yeah, I, I think you got to think, you know, what, what is the mindset of a person in their 20s twi- or, you know, even potentially into their early 30s? It is risk on, it is attempt to grow wealth as fast as possible. And also because you're at the start of your, let's say, employment journey and your wealth building journey, you don't really have a lot of wealth to protect, right? Because you haven't had a chance to build any yet. So it makes sense to me why there's this huge attraction to crypto Particularly from that area of the the market, as it were, because like, why would you go and buy gold, which is the ultimate safe haven, the ultimate wealth protector, or at least that's what many people would argue it is, when you're when you don't have much wealth to protect? Because you, as I say, you're at the start of your journey, versus Bitcoin or, or crypto more generally, which can have these enormous price rallies, obviously enormous price crashes as well. I, I understand fully why why younger investors are more attracted to crypto right now. In terms of the impact that it's actually had on gold though right now or, or in the last little while, whilst Bitcoin's been around for let's call it 12 years now, most people had not heard of it at all till about 2015, yeah. maybe 2016, right? And indeed, if you look at the market capitalization of Bitcoin you know, up until then, it was an absolute Mickey Mouse market, right? It was worth nothing almost. Uh, even about 18 months ago, I, I wrote a, some analysis on this, 18 months ago, the SMSF industry in Australia alone could have bought the entire Bitcoin network seven times over, right? So, as I say, even up until 18 months ago, it was just a total Mickey Mouse game, right? So, obviously, a fair bit bigger now. But where I'm going with this, Pete and and Steve, is if you look at the last five years, which, yeah, we've seen this enormous run in Bitcoin, gold prices have basically gone up 70% in the last five years as well. Um, So, there's still been enormous amounts of money that have gone into gold as well. And actually, if you think about, instead of thinking about percentage gains, think about market value creation. Even today at $40,000 a coin or thereabouts, back of the envelope, that means the Bitcoin network, as it were, you know, if you take the number of coins that have been issued multiplied by the price, I'm guessing it's somewhere in the vicinity of six to $700 billion right now, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. The gold market alone in the last five years would have added something like five trillion dollars of market value. So, whilst there's a little bit of competition there, and there's loads of talk about it, because you know all the crypto fanatics you know claim that Bitcoin is digital gold or gold 2.0, I don't really think there's any evidence to suggest Bitcoin is meaningfully replacing gold, as as it were.
0: Yeah. Well, that, yeah, yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense, and I, th- I think. Um, yeah, I mean a, a lot of parallels I, I can see with my own journey because obviously as somebody who worked in the resources sector uh, during the the heady early days of the mining boom uh, you know much younger person back then no interest whatsoever in uh, what might happen to my superannuation in 40 years time you know much more interested in whether I could double the money in a day or or two days on a on a mining stock but uh, obviously yeah. those things come in waves and uh, when The tide's going out, it's not so much fun, so uh, yeah, yeah, and also as you go through life, as you know, with kids these days, you've got different levels of responsibility and different priorities. So, uh, as yeah. you said, I, I think uh, there's probably a place for, for all of those things, but uh, it, to a certain degree, depends on the stage in life and the stage in your investment journey, anyway.
1: Yeah, it's it's a really good point you raise, Pete. And, and I actually think, and um, and again, with kids and all that now, myself, you know, I, I find myself that I am. A much better seller of assets these days than I was in my late 20s and early 30s. And I reckon a big part of that is actually, I can see the real world value of what I could do with a capital gain much easier now than what I could 10 or 12 years ago, when I didn't have kids, I didn't have daycare you know, fees to worry about. I wasn't really thinking about putting money away for school fees or starting a portfolio for them, any of that kind of stuff. So, and again, if I look at you know, compare that to the crypto mania right now, I suspect a lot of these people that are, you know, have got paper gains, they're going to see them evaporate because they're just not going to know when to sell. And, you know, as we know, the market moves in cycles, if it can move up super quick, it can move down super quick. So I suspect a lot of people probably will get caught out. But, you know, there's there's a lesson in that as well. So, you know, even if you even if you give up some paper gain you made, you, you learn from it in terms of life experience.
2: I was gonna um I was just gonna say John you that's a really interesting point you know because I was just I'm just sitting here thinking about you know the reason why gold outperforms equities when equities crash and also Bitcoin in terms of we you know one of our principles is rebalancing but just to, plugging in plugging that into um, the Lindy effect you know that Talib talks about about you know the old things you want to buy the old things because there's probably still going to be around and it's a little bit of the sense of gold has been there forever and, will, and you know, no doubt will be, whereas I couldn't say the same thing about Bitcoin. Yeah. Will Bitcoin be around in 30 years? Well, maybe, but I sure as hell know gold will be because yeah. it's actually, like you said at the start, it's actually got a use value, you know, as in plenty of things you can actually need and use gold for. And the the other thing that struck me was that, you know, when equities crash... And it, it's a, a little bit sort of the same with property. Equities for most people, unlike property and gold, is sort of a little bit intangible. You you know, you yeah. sort of say, oh, well, I hold shares in Woolworths. You don't actually say, I own a piece of Woolworths, whether it's a brick or, a you know, a, a, a fridge or whatever. Yeah. And I, I suspect part of the reason... For me, like I was just thinking if someone said, well, do you want to hold gold or Bitcoin? It'd be like, if, my, if I want to put my head on the pillow at night, I'm going to hold gold because yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm going to wake up in the morning and go, gold's still there. Bitcoin? Eh, I'm not too sure. So yeah. it's, it's it's that that physicality of it, which ties back to what you said right at the very start where you said, you know, the, the, the sheer beauty and luster and the weight of it and the you know, the durability and that sort of stuff. So it's a a really interesting point you raise about young guys, particularly guys, I should say, not all the time, but um, young people love that volatility, but they love the positive volatility. They never want to talk about the negative volatility. And it's interesting because, as you say, on the other side of 40, you start to look at assets that have got just a little bit less volatility and more stability. So you generally sort of say, well, I'll, I'll I'll, get some property or some farmland or some gold because you know that you're going to wake up in the morning and they're still going to be there. And you realise, again, that like Pete and I talk about, if you focus on the risk to your portfolio, not the return, over yep. the long term, you'll always end up better off.
1: Yeah, I, look, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, in theory, if, if, if as investors we never got scared by volatility, then, you know, you could probably just be 100% equities all the time and and, and that would be no problem. But that's just not how we're wired as human beings. Yes. And Yeah, yeah look, if I, if I think of a lot of the clients that we deal with and, and, like, the biggest growth area has been people with self-managed super funds and they're typically putting somewhere between 10 and 20% of their money in gold, partly as an equity market hedge, partly just because cash rates are so low. But a lot of them actually say quite openly, they're like, look, I kind of hope that this is the worst performing asset in my portfolio. And I hope ultimately I can just leave it to the kids, right? Like that that is what they're hoping happens with their gold. But they've also got it there as that insurance because they, you know, they, well, they believe that if equities do go through another bad cycle or if we, you know, stay in a low interest rate environment for another 10 plus years, which it looks like we might, um, you know, then gold is is probably going to be you know at least on a relative basis a, a pretty good performer for them.
0: As you say, uh, you know, gold traditionally thought of as something you would want to hold through a troublesome periods. So maybe between us, with uh, farmland and gold, we just need to get a few guns and we've got all bases covered. So, uh, <laughs> let, let, let's hope. it doesn't thanks for
2: thanks <laughs> for the positive vibe, Pete.
0: <laughs> let's hope it doesn't come to that. I think uh, I was going to say, I was gonna I'll say, bring the butter. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, so, uh, Jordan, I'm conscious we could probably talk all day about uh, financial markets, and we usually do when we get together in Sydney, but uh, I guess um, what we can do, um, we'll put some details in the show notes for people who are interested in gold and how they can contact you at the Perth Mint. Um, But also, um, are there other places that people should track you down? I know you're quite active on social media as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, so probably... If people are on Twitter, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find there. So my handle is just at Jordan Alicio, So J O R D A N E L I S E O. And I also publish, you know, content fairly regularly on things like Livewire, if, if people, you know, read that. Or, you know, the Perth Mint's got a, um, what we call a bullion blog. Um, I, I would publish content there at a minimum, kind of once a month. And then, you know, sometimes intra month, if there's a, you know, particularly interesting, Development either in the gold market specifically or in financial markets more generally. So, yeah, sort of content that I put out there is relatively easy to, to find if, if people are interested.
0: Yeah, and always a good follow on uh, social media and Twitter, as you said. So, uh, well, I think uh, we can wrap it up there today. So, yeah, uh, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure to have you on. And it's always uh, great to get an insight from a genuine expert in the field with decades of experience because it's certainly. Uh, not an area that I have any expertise in myself and I'm sure the same for many of the listeners. So uh, thanks for joining today and uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks, Steve. Cheers, thanks, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to know more, you can download a free chapter and extra bonuses from our new book, Low Rates, High Returns. Just visit www lowrateshighreturns.com forward slash book to download your free copy. The things we've discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Stephen and I are both on LinkedIn and Twitter so do reach out and connect with us. And finally, it'd be great if you could subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps others to find the show. Now take care and invest wisely, cheers.